Hello. How are you? I'm good. How are you doing? Pretty good. Pretty good. Welcome aboard the Almost Midnight Anthology Podcast. Yes. <laughs> I'm very excited. Yes. Today we're covering Creep Show from 19 Creep Show 2 rather from 1987. Yeah, I see it. It's a, it, it, like the first one it's an anthology. It got a 6 out of 10 on IMDb, which I think is a pretty high score, and then 29% on Rotten Tomatoes. I was pretty shocked by that. Yeah, it's um, 6 is high for IMDb. 20, yeah. 29% is low for Rotten Tomatoes. They can, But they can fuck off, though. Yes. <laughs> I always feel like when I see a horror with anything more than a 10 percent i'm like sure i'll try it i'll see what happens absolutely <laughs> so, so seeing 29 percent, i was actually pretty i was actually pretty shocked yeah, it does kind of seem high for <laughs> yes people kind of go into horror movies with preconceived notions and they tend to be a little harder on them yeah i i think they, they give them less of an expectation there's no high expectations with horror i suppose but uh i was i saw that and then I saw that George Romero is still involved with it, but he's not directing it. Nope. So it actually is this guy named Michael Gornick, who was actually the cinematographer on the first one. Yep. So it looked like he moved up a little notch, which is nice. Oh, yeah. And he directed a bit on Tales from the Dark Side. So, yeah, I I thought that was crazy. I I mean, it's, it's pretty cool that. I guess Romero would like loosen the reins a little bit and like let other people dabble in the direction part of it. I thought that was kind of cool. Um, oh, yeah. It's still based on, a, it's still based on short stories by Stephen King. But I also saw that George Romero 
and this uncredited Lucille Fletcher were also kind of like part of the writing process as well, which I thought was cool. I can see that. When it came like to the, the, the screenplays part of it, like they're based on his stories, but like the development of the screenplays, it's kind of given to three different people, which is kind of, it's, that's also kind of cool too. What's weird is like he or King's responsible for it, but the only one that I know of that he's actually published is the raft from this one. Yes. The other two, I, I think were like just written for this. Oh yeah. So maybe that's where their input maybe came in. Oh yeah, the raft was uh, published first in Playboy and then in Skeleton Crew in 1985. Really, Playboy? Oh yeah, well yeah, they they bought a lot of stories back then. And I thought for some reason, like I'm not like an aficionado of Playboy, but I always would. I think I would imagine kind of like erotic stories. Like maybe there are stories, but there's nothing really erotic about this story. <laughs> it's just kind. I mean. It's just like, it's basically a horror short. So it's just, it's interesting oh, yeah. that Playboy featured it. And it's pretty cool. So I'm dead wrong, which, you <laughs> know what? Could be, my memory's kind of tricky on me these days. But... No, no, I mean, hey, I, I bought it. So you definitely sold it. <laughs> yeah, that was the only reason I used to buy them, though, was for the stories. <laughs> yes, uh, I, I did. I had heard that excuse a lot before. <laughs> yeah, but I, I, I'm serious, though. They had the best stories. It's just too bad to... you gotta go past all those pages of those. Yeah, they they make you work for the story. Those floozies. <laughs> um, I also saw in the the end credits that Greg Nicotero is on this. Oh yeah, the uh, the effects that was a journey. Well, first they start they hired oh frick, I'm gonna lose his name. Um, something French. Oh, uh, yeah. I think his last name isn't something like French, isn't it? Uh, Ed French, I think. Yeah. But he, I, he's done good work I've seen in the past. He, um, but some for some reason they weren't happy with it, so they hired K and B to come in. And I, uh, I thought I saw there was like some sort of arguments about, um, specifically, which is fine. We talked about the raft, the blob in that feature. They were argued about the look of it or how to manipulate it and i guess romero went out and and consulted somebody else and that french guy got pissed and basically was like i'm out i could see that yeah and it was basically but, that he was went he kind of outsourced like opinions about it and he did, he did not like that oh yeah so i'm pretty sure his most of his work is in the raft and i i'm pretty sure K and B covered the rest of it, which K and B is. I'm sorry, I don't know if you know the abbreviation is for the three guys who started it. Uh, no. Robert Kurtz, Robert Kurtzman, Greg Nicotero, and Howard Berger. Oh, that's so cool! And I, I, I'm only recognized the name. I mean, more recently for for me, it was be Walk with the uh, uh, the Walking Dead. I got oh, really yeah. super familiar, and. Uh, but I guess he had a whole thing before that. Again, I was new to that kind of no people who did the effects part of it. So that was a shock to me to recognize. You just see the same, you kind of see like trails of the same names through all these horror movies, which I think is really, I think it's a really neat and different is that once you're respected in a kind of genre, like they, you seem to be used a lot. 
Oh yeah, they. I think they pretty much understudied under Tom Savini. Yeah. And as far as I know, I don't know if Evil Dead Two was their was the first one where they kind of took the full reins on it. I'm not sure, I but I know they. Know. Worked on, I'm not sure, but I know they worked on that. And then Kurtzman went into directing slash visual effects. So he did. You're better, better, better. Again, I'm new to like the whole ins and outs of. I just can't. I I, with finding out people are the same people on the same through the decades, through decades. My big dumb, my dumb brain can spout off this, but I. I couldn't tell you when my girls' little league practice was. (laughs) Uh, I'm just getting old. It it looked it, it runs shorter than the first one. I saw it. It runs it runs much shorter than the first one, about ninety two minutes. Yep, a brisk ninety two minutes. Yeah, the other one was two hours. Oh yeah, and, and I saw the budget was half of the first one. <laughs> Absolutely. Yep. Yeah, it's like I think the first one I read was eight million, and this one was about three and a half million for the budget. Oh yeah, that definitely sounds about right. But um, it but the box office shows that it was really, it was basically a success. It was fourteen million it it brought in, so again almost like four times as much as the budget. So I don't know if it it was off of the first one that it had a a good following or what, but they they made money on this definitely. Which which begs the question. I don't know why they didn't immediately do a third. There might have, I know there's, there became a, a time that they couldn't use their own title of Creep Show, and I'm not sure why, because Tales from the Dark Side, the movie is technically Creep Show 3. Yeah, and I saw that, I guess this Creep Show 2 only has three p- stories, but it originally had five, but oh, they, yeah, but they, they cut, cut two. Yeah, yeah they cut right. two. And the one with the cat, Cat from Hell or something, they featured that in. Tales from the Dark Side, the movie. Because they apparently they filmed the other two, but for budget reasons, it wasn't added, or they couldn't finish it, or something. So they cut those two, but they actually used the cat from hell in that Tales from the Dark Side movie. Oh, yeah. That should have been a creep show, too. So I guess it makes sense that it, it kind of feels like that should be a creep show three, like Tales from the Dark Side. Absolutely. They seem like they're pretty connected. Did you read about the other one that got cut? Uh, no, I read out the cat one, but I know the other one's pin something. Yeah, I think it pinfall, I think is what it's called. Pinfall. Okay. And I saw that was added, but I couldn't, I didn't really find anything on it. Something to do with zombies and bowling or something. I don't, (laughs) it sounded fun though, from what I've heard and I'm sad they got cut, but yeah, I'm still very happy with what we got. Yes. (laughs) We, uh, and these are the three of them that are involved in this one is. Old Chief Woodenhead, the Raft, and the Hitchhiker. And I guess the Woodenhead and Hitchhiker were written for this. And the, he said the Raft is one of his actual shorts. Oh, yeah. It was adapted very well, too. I've read the story a couple times. And, yeah, I think they, they nailed it. And I always... And that's, like, funny you brought that up. Because, personally, when it comes to Stephen King, I feel like... He's such a good author, but when you see the adaptations, I'm less than thrilled. Oh, yeah. There's only, like, maybe, you know, Misery is amazing. Like, 
it, it, there's a couple that I think stand out. It's just, I feel o- overall, I'm kind of like womp womp, you know? Yep. It doesn't, it leaves it, it's like, it makes you feel like that Stephen King can't have a good adaptation sometimes. And it's funny you mentioned that because he's one of the authors that you just wish he'd have a really good one. <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, he came out the gate swinging because he had uh, Carrie, which is amazing. Carrie, uh, Salem's Law. Stand by me, right? That came in a little further into the eighties. Yes, but that's that's also from him. Oh yeah, very good. And then and the, the yeah, Shining, and then Creep Show, and then then I've tried to I watch like I try to watch some of the made for TV ones in the nineties, like that they put out, where <laughs> I, and I I can't get through them, and I'm just like trying, and I'm like, oh, I want to watch this so badly, but. I don't know. I mean, you have to re- again revisit them because I'm talking from years ago trying to like sit through it and I was I just wasn't ever as enthralled as I was reading it. No, some of those are rough, especially Tommyknockers and parts of the Langoliers and Yeah, and I kind of remember um, and of course if those two names are escaping me and people are probably be like how does she not remember but uh, was the stand one? I feel like the stand oh, yeah. was a long time oh. one that I was like really tried to get through it and i was like please like you can find a lot of these for free on youtube as well like if you just type it in you know the uh, youtube police hasn't found them yet but you can watch these entire things it's like 10 hours long and you're just trying to like but but it's not even that it's it just i think the way he expresses himself is so intricate all these things just don't relay in movies that well totally i <laughs> I, they're they're a guilty pleasure for me. I think even a bad adaptation is somewhat fun. Oh yeah, and I think they're coming out with another fire starter this I, year. Yeah. So we'll see what happens with that. Um, all right. So I guess we'll go into the film, and this one is kind of the same in the fact that it has a story interwoven in the, in the, in the, in the intermixed with the three different stories. So in the small town of Dexter, Maine, a delinquent or delivery truck pulls up to a nearby newsstand and a small boy, Billy. And I thought that was weird. It's exactly the same name as the first one. Yep. And looks nothing like the first one, but he follows the truck on his bike to the newsstand that the delivery truck's going to. The truck back door swings open and it reveals a man, which I'm, I'm saying man, but it's like, is it a witch? Is he like a, like a, a warlock kind of, but he looks odd and like, I wouldn't start a conversation with him basically, <laughs> yeah. but um, it's Tom Savini in that role. And I guess the voice is somebody else. I read the voice of this guy named Joe Silver. So, when you when I actually went and re- after I read that and I rewatched it, you can actually tell that Tom Savini is mouthing the words that this person is speaking. If you look at this scene really closely, you can tell he's almost lip syncing it. Oh yeah. <laughs> so he drops the package off on the sidewalk, and that begins the transformation into the animation part of the intro. The package is opened by these like little winged demons, and it reveals the contents to be like the new issue of Creep Show. Which I also saw was the picture on the cover of that was the end scene of the first Creepshow movie. 
I don't know if you noticed that, but it's the vo- it's it's showing Billy in the first movie poking with the voodoo doll, the dad. Oh yeah, totally. Yeah. Uh, he delivery truck, the delivery man just, um, identifies himself as the creep and then vanishes as Billy picks up the issue and begins to read it. The film location changes to a castle where the creep again, welcomes the audience. Uh, you see him do things like feed me to a lizard and he, then he kind of goes into the first story. So what I noticed is that the animation was less comic booky i felt like it was more from my time like i would say like it looked like matches of the universe kind of like comic like animation like early 80s sunday cartoony to me oh yeah it was less of the original there was like there was bits and pieces during the credits of like the um like the block the com the cartoon blockage like of storyline but the actual I guess the actual animation to me was more of a Sunday morning cartoon. Do you feel like that? Oh yeah, and I'm I'm sure it was a budget thing, but I I kind of find I find it endearing. Yes, it reminded me of really like us, like old Scooby Doo, yeah. old He Man. Um, it just reminded me of that, and it was like you could just tell it was just like grainy and very eighties. Uh, I think his. Face looks like he has balls on his chin. Did you know? Did you ever notice that? Absolutely. Yes. I don't know if no one else mentions that, but how do you not look at his chin and think phallic chin? I don't know, but that was just where my, my mind went. Like right away, I was like, yeah. "This is the most disturbing facial prosthetic I think I've ever seen." He's a ball chinian. Yeah. Yes, he's, <laughs> he has a ball chin. So in that, and then basically it kind of just introduces the creep in actual live action and in animation and introduces Billy, who's like this kind of like interwoven, not narrator, but, you know, person again, like the first one who loves horror comics, yeah. loves creep show. He seems and, well adjusted considering the fact that he murdered his dad with voodoo. Yes. Yes. And, uh, it seems that he's still in the comic books and I don't even know, I don't even know if this would be the same Billy, but this, this, this Billy, this Billy is <laughs> equally as interested in creep show. And then it leads us into old wooden head. Old chief wooden head. <laughs> yep. And we are, we are set in a, in a nearly desolate desert town. And we are introduced to a couple played by George Kennedy, who was obviously in uh, Naked Gun and Cool Hand Luke and a thousand other things. Yes. And Dorothy Lamore, who was a huge um, star back in the day. And they're kind of commiserating on their little town and how... um, Ray kind of lets that's George Kennedy's character how he kind of lets people walk over him and yeah, the, yeah it looks like Dorothy or Martha in this in the in the short really wears the pants and uh Ray's just kind of like along for the ride kind of thing but they're yeah they uh, they're a great couple though they seem like they're truly yeah together forever oh yeah they're they're truly likable characters they might be the only truly likable characters in the entire movie honestly yes 
that is i can 100 percent. i think so yeah uh, yeah <laughs> this is full of very despicable kind of people this this whole anthology <laughs> yep absolutely <laughs> so a uh, nice car pulls up and an, and an older native american man steps out and he's revealed to be benjamin white moon and he um he tells the the couple that um his people who are deeply in his debt and he says that he's ashamed to step in there because of how deeply they are in his debt so he offers them offers him how would you describe it uh kind of like um you know collateral maybe like a kind of a he get, he collects family heirlooms basically from each of each family in the tribe and delivers this wrapped up package of the heirlooms and says hey if we can't pay this off i think he said in two autumns which two I think autumns. Is, yes if he can't pay this off in two autumns then he gets to keep the jewels so yeah, he- you know if they if it's basically he doesn't feel bad about his people taking from him because he knows he has that on layaway kind of oh yeah and ray ray's a good heart he tries to turn him down yeah yeah, but he's but like, he, no, don't do that because then we're back to being beggars and we're not just borrowers anymore. And he thought I would be just, you know, he's prideful, basically. Yeah. Okay. I guess I like Benjamin White Moon's also likable. <laughs> yes, he is. Yes, he has convictions and he wants yeah. to make right with uh with Ray, and the and the store. Oh yeah, I think it's called the Elena or the the uh, I. I'll butcher all the Native American. Uh, oh, Ali- yeah, Aline or something. That, the Aline. The, 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 basically, the, the gift of jewelry or whatever that or whatever that process is called, like, you know, of leaving something. So it's basically so he but Ray seems pretty, you know, taken aback. And you see that Martha at one time was kind of over it. And she kind of felt like she had a renewed love for the people there because they weren't just taking from them. They they actually had like these convictions. Oh yeah, just uh, yeah, a lot of good people on falling in hard times, and so they 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 go from outside to inside in the weirdest transition because once they go inside, it's like it, nine it, o'clock uh, at night. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that transition always bugs me. I'm like, but yes, I, and I, it took. For, for, I watched this twice, uh, a couple days apart, so I have it sink in, then watch it again, and it's literally they're outside and it's it has to be like 11 a.m like the brightest of sun like and they turn around they walk inside and the entire place is like completely dark and the outside is it's, it's, it's nighttime now it's officially nighttime yeah, like, yeah it's, that is the weirdest oh, yeah. thing my dumb head forgot he what he was doing before all these interactions was he was uh trying to repaint his his i kind of i wanted to call it a cigar store indian but i guess it's just a, a large indian statue but yeah either i mean yeah a large wooden statue i i figure it's kind of like a cigar store like that height of it is, is i would say it's pretty accurate oh yeah and he's talk he's talking to it and he says i'll finish your war paint tomorrow chief that's a promise of course does not get to um so they, they go inside and um, here come the first three unlikable characters. <laughs> yes. I guess it's, uh, which I, we don't know at the time who they are, but like 
the one is this like svelte, you know, he's has a huge ego. He thinks he's going to go make it in Hollywood because he has long, luxurious hair. But we find out that it's actually Ben White Moon's, I guess, was it nephew? Yep, nephew. Uh, Sam White Moon. His yeah. friend who he calls Fatso. Fatso, yeah. Yeah, and then another guy who I had to read his name. His name is Andy, which Kavanaugh, which I don't know if they actually refer to him by name at all. I know he calls him Kavanaugh. Okay. Because I-, I was trying to listen. On, I, mean, I wouldn't even know his name because I feel like he's never really in the conversations more fat so fat so um but they're there to rob they're there to rob ray and martha oh absolutely they knew about the they they somehow knew about the lna and they they want to rob, rob them first off the sam moon is played by a very not native american halt mccallany i think that's how you pronounce his name yeah that whatever that name i was like that's definitely not anything remotely native that's irish or scottish or you know definitely not the character he was playing in this (laughs) he's best known now for mindhunter i'm not familiar with that show oh it's amazing you gotta get into it it's more (laughs) true crime but he's probably yeah he's doing the best and then dave and then fatso's played by david holbrook who is hal holbrook's son yeah, I read that. Hal Halbrook was Henry in the crate in the first one. Yep, you bet. And that is that to me is crazy. That they that they would I feel like reusing the family members. There's a lot of things I notice in this that relate back to the first creep show or are they related to each other. And I don't think it's so fun that, that these are really intricate like Easter eggs, I guess you would say, but like or fun little factoids that Unless you really dug into the movie, you probably wouldn't get it, but I'm sure it makes somebody smile <laughs> in some way. <laughs> yeah. Including Kavanaugh knocking a bunch of creep show magazines off of the rack. Yes. And yep, he was looking at the creep show, he knocked him off the rack. Um so basically they come in there with the sole intention to steal everything. And uh you know. There's a couple scenes that I think are crazy. Like there's like, you know, uh, Sam goes into a photo booth and there happy a photo booth in the store. He takes pictures. He starts admiring himself, saying he's gonna make it in Hollywood. And that's like the whole reason why they're even robbing the store is that they want to get the money. They want to take uh, Sam and all three of them go to Hollywood and Sam become rich and famous because he has long, luxurious hair. And the whole thing was the hair, the hair, the hair about how the, it makes him the greatest. It is a really nice wig, though. Yes, and as I'm walking, I'm like, "That is not his real hair." You can just tell how it doesn't lay. It doesn't lay like hair, and even it's <laughs> like the worst '80s wig. Like it, it, he can hardly put it over his shoulder. You know, it's like broom. It's like broom. <laughs> it's like we're gonna take this. We're gonna take this wig to Hollywood, and we're gonna make it big. Yes, I'm, I'm gonna need that Aline. Now they were they were more than they were more than okay, kind of letting them you know knock shit over and take a few things but when they brought up the Elena, raise a little hesitant to to hand it over yeah he basically sends fatso over there to basically rough right around a little bit and uh as he's getting roughed around his wife martha looks obviously visibly upset and goes to go up to go to ray and kind of help him and that's when Sam, who had a shotgun, ended up shooting 
the wife in the stomach or you know in the air in her abdomen and she does the slowest death scene i think i've ever seen and oh. <laughs> she falls into like the sacks in front of her but um there's okay so you could definitely tell budgetary things with this because the shotgun blast he he shot her at point blank range with a shotgun yeah and like there's absolutely no visible damage to her but like the clip is like you see a little bit of red and it goes back and you're seeing she's covered in red like if you noticed and yeah. then she kind of like slowly 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 falls on top of like a rice sacks in front of her <laughs> and i think it's funny because like he is right next to her when the shotgun goes off so of course ray you know is upset and he goes to char- go after sam or at least walk towards him and sam shoots ray the same way and he falls over on the same sack of of like goods in the middle of the store and it's really sad yeah that is sad because it's like it's just you almost that you did feel sorry for them. I would say you definitely did because it's like that was completely unnecessary. That whole the whole scene of that. And I that said something like Chief Woodenhead is good enough to go get back the Linnean, but um, he didn't stop them from being murdered. Yeah, but, but in his defense. It happened very quickly, and he does not move very quickly. Yeah. It's so okay. So when we when we first kind of besides the war paint, the beginning of this, uh, Sam or no Ben White Moon when he was leaving after dropping off the Aline, he kind of says something in native tongue to Chief Woodenhead like basically the equivalent of like good day or you know something like that and you kind of see the 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 statue or the wooden figure move a little bit to acknowledge ben oh yeah i love that yeah so you kind of see like there and because you see him take you see ben like look at it like oh okay i saw that or you definitely it moved and you kind of get the impression that it's that it's alive so i can see that because part of me in the first viewing when i thought that after they were done robbing the couple they like they they basically tell kavanaugh to get his car and they're going to take off they're going to go tonight to to la when he leaves out the front door he's screaming at the place like i'm out of this town i'm out of here i'm i'm tired of eating dust he yeah. shoots into the he shoots like a couple bullets into the store and then he shoots Chief Woodenhead. Do oh yeah. Know? Yeah, that may be what kind of I felt like in the first feeling, I felt like, yeah, in the first feeling, I felt like now why wouldn't he stop the murder? But on the second viewing, I was like, well, now and then he shot him. So is he going to is he going to kill them because of what he did to him or what he did to his like caretakers? I well I kind of have a theory. I I think that the I think where the Indian came from. I'm sorry we're saying Indian. I don't know if that's copacetic anymore, but um, yeah, I mean because it is like it also is we're referring to an inanimate object. So it's like also like to say like. The, you know, Indian wooden statue. I guess, like, we should, you know, 
or cigar yeah. store Indian. Like, what do you say? It's like, I feel I, like, and I feel like there's a couple of things that this like is that it's, it's by today's standards, a guy named Holt McCanny McCulley wouldn't be playing this character. I feel like it's like, so I feel like you're also caught in this time capsule watching this too. Absolutely. Got, yeah. So it's like, a- yes, we'll be saying wooden Indian, but we don't really mean like any disrespect to culture. It's like you're kind of like you feel stuck because you're talking about it, though. <laughs> yeah. You got to look. It's the 80s. You got to look past a lot of stuff. Yeah. You kind of just have to like refer to it what it is. It's a wooden Indian. <laughs> but I think that Native American tribe gifted them that Indian. Yes. Because he's and- because Ben Ben spoke to the chief old wooden head in the native tongue and said goodbye to it, you know, and he were, he referred to it and showed a kind of respect, but then the, the nephew came in and shot it, which didn't show him respect. So I wonder if he's, if he's avenging himself and not even the couple at all. Oh, um, I kind of thought, I kind of thought maybe, but if if he was kind of after the Elena and, and just for the tribe, he wouldn't have killed Kavanaugh and Fatso. He just would have went after Sam and got it back. Oh yeah. I guess that's true. So, so I think that he's he's kind you know, he's kind of the protector of them. And if he can't protect them, he'll avenge them and Yeah. And that's why when they, they split up for a little while, so they're easier to pick off before, <laughs> yes. they, go to, before they go to California. And uh, yeah, he sends them back to their houses to get a few things to they're gonna take off tonight to go to California, which I think first of all, Kavanaugh's like T top, like Firebird was amazing. Yeah, um, they send him to like go get a few things, and like it looks like Kavanaugh actually packed a bag when you get to his scene, but Fatso just goes back to his like trailer park and starts like eating and watching TV, like nothing's going on. <laughs> Oh, yeah, he's got the typical uh, nude pictures up. Yeah, and, very vintagey looking nude pictures too. Yeah, he's he's a pretty big scumbag. Yeah, and I guess so. We kind of before Woodenhead kind of gets off of his pedestal, he lets out this big, long, like almost howl to the moon. You would say it's like almost werewolf like kind of howl. And yes, yes, and he steps off the pedestal, but that how kind of uh, trails into the scene with Fatso in his place. Did you notice that? I yeah, I love that. And I feel like almost like Fatso heard it, but he didn't. Kind of, it looked like it was like it could have been that way in in the movie, which was kind of cool. Oh yeah, it's kind of it's, and this is kind of oddly edited, like you said. He. He got something to eat. He crushed a beer. Yeah. <laughs> and he sits down to watch a black and white tube TV. Yes. He and watched, the- uh, I saw it was like Poncho and Cisco or something. I, I looked up the what they were watching because it was on every single TV in every house he went to in this in this short story. Oh, yeah. They, they were the- all watching the same show. So I'm like, now what is this? Like, what's the what's the relevance of this? But like it was some old timey kind of uh I wanna say Lone Ranger, but kind of a Lone Ranger type show. Oh yeah, and then in the next short, Deke and Randy refer to each other as Cisco and Poncho, so it kind of bleeds into the next one too. Yes. <laughs> yeah. It definitely and and they're all like the 
they're all watching this movie, which I thought was a weird thing. But basically, the Chief Woodenhead gets to Fatso's house first. And by the time he sits down in his chair to enjoy the show that everyone's watching, uh, he gets killed with three arrows. Like, chest and head, yeah. And I thought they were pretty good. Look, they were they were a good practical effect. Oh yeah, because you don't you don't see the you don't see the Indian at all. He's just like talking back to the TV. Next thing you know, an arrow goes through his hand and his beer. Yes. And, and then, then one through and then it, one through the top of his his uh his head. Yeah, through through his bullshit hat. Yes. <laughs> um, I thought that that was. I thought that they looked good. I thought that. You know, sometimes they could not, I mean, arrow kind of things in 80s. I, I, I was, but they looked really good. It, lo- it was fast. It was, it gave me a little bit of a, a jump, not a scare, but like a, oh, that, that, you know, you knew that you knew he was coming to get them, but I did feel surprised when it happened because it was kind of in a dead part of the, when you're sitting there watching TV, you kind of feel like he's going to make an appearance, but it was just, there was no appearance. It was just arrows and he was dead. <laughs> yeah. He actually doesn't appear on so uh, Sam Sam's death. I think because with Kavanaugh, he Kavanaugh's packing. He's got his shit. He comes yes, out. he has like a duffel bag and like an '80s boombox. That's what he's taking to LA with him. <laughs> That's all you need. Yes, and he comes out. He comes out to the garage, and, and his car is demolished. Yeah. And okay, so here's another where I'm like, you didn't hear this going on. This is like, <laughs> this is like the end of a, a like a a, a a demolition derby. Like the car has almost been impaled. Yeah. Like he goes out there and he's like, ah, what happened to my car? And then like basically an off scene kill or an off can like off. What would you say it is like a. I like I I kind of like it though that it's a cut basically just see shadow uh, work. It's a bunch of shadow work basically. Because was it was it like you saw? Did you see like it was a tomahawk you got killed with? Did you kind of it was I I forget was it a shadow you saw where you saw it come down on him or was it just a blood splatter? Yeah, both. It basically is just a shadow and then a blood splatter and then a really good cut to his mangled body on top of his ruined car and then the garage door comes down over that then you see the shadow of old chief woodenhead yeah i thought it was good oh yeah it's like it's like kind of make it's like setting the tone and then you know when he finally shows up at sam's house and he he comes to the front door at sam's house this yep. one you actually see him physically like be in the place and when i looked it up i was like okay because it, it does look like real wood. This, this, I guess we'd say it was, I don't know if it's like prosthetic or plastic this person's in, but the Indian is played by two or three people I saw. Oh, I didn't so know there's, that. There's actually somebody inside of that. Oh, so, yeah. I, I knew that, but I didn't know there was like three different people. Yeah. Because I saw Indian one, Indian two. It was like listed as credits. And it was, uh, it definitely was somebody inside of it. So being in that, I can't even imagine like because this thing looks 
it, it, it has the appearance of being very uncomfortable for whoever's in there. But he walks through the front door, or not really walks, but he's in the front door. And he's just like, you see Sam like, oh no, not you. Like, as if like, <laughs> you know, he wasn't just yeah. shocked. Like, what is this wood statue doing in my house? He kind of was more like, oh no, like, not, not you. Like, as if he would expect this to happen. Yeah, he's like, you, you can't, you're not alive, man. You can't be alive. Yeah. He backs himself into, I guess, his bathroom with, with again, with the shotgun. And she wouldn't have, doesn't care. And I guess he just comes through the wall. <laughs> yeah. He punches through the wall, grabs him by his hair, pulls him through the hole, raises his, uh, was it still his tomahawk or what? <laughs> I guess, like, or whatever he had this one, but he, but yeah, he just scalps him. Yep, you just heard a, you just hear his screaming, echoing, and then that transitions to Ben White Moon waking up in his bed, and he has the gift laying next to him. Yep. So he he automatically knows either something's wrong or he has to. He went back to the general store basically to deal with it, and he rolls up by himself this time. He didn't have his drivers with him. And he gets out, and Chief Woodenhead's there with really fresh war paint on and holding a bloody scalp in his hand. And uh, Ben doesn't even go into the store, basically. He just kind of knew already, and he goes, I hope you're resting easy now, basically, <laughs> after you, I, after I, you took I, care of everything. I love it. It's a really, it's a really kind of... Uh, I know it's kind of a sweet moment where he's... I don't. He doesn't need to go inside. He knows what happened. He's just like... And he knows that he took care of it. Yeah. He said, may your spirit rest, old warrior. Yeah. And I wonder if he knew by the hair if it was... Oh, he knows. He knows. It was... Yeah, he knows it was... You know that... That town was small. That... that... He knew that was Sam's hair. Yeah. I, so it definitely was a cool kind of thing where it came full circle and Ben saw it and I really, really liked it. Awesome, awesome. I loved it too. What's the next I, one? I, um, we go into a prologue, uh, or I'm sorry, an interlude at this with the pro uh, interlude, which is back to the animation part of the uh, the story. You see Billy at the post office this time. He's still reading his comic. He is there to get a COD package from the clerk that's working. That is basically a mail-in order thing that was an advertisement in the Creepshow magazine. Again, similar to the first one where Billy bought the voodoo doll. Billy's here for a COD package for whatever he purchased through Creepshow. Uh, He's kind of getting annoyed with the clerk because the clerk is like, saying well 9.99 it seems like a lot to uh a lot of money to buy some out of funny paper and then billy's annoyed and you know him calling it a funny paper and yeah. it's not and it's and basically he mentions the package is a, a man-eating venus fly trap yeah. he gets billy gets kind of mad at the clerk again because it will give his pie nothing more than a petunia bulb and he's kind of just mocking billy and billy's getting more and more upset uh he throws his money down he just uh, takes off. He goes again. He's heading home for his with his package. Uh, the creep again in animation form appears at the post office as well, and he goes, "Oh, you're still watching," addressing the audience as the, like the narrator. 
and he kind of goes into the next story, which was the raft. So when I first, what I watched this probably when I was in my early teens or like 12 or something, when I first saw Creepshow 2 and this particular one, I remember only because it was set in the water on a raft. So uh, watching this as an adult was definitely like, oh, this is the story. Like I, I literally only remember the raft and the water of the story. It stars four people, Deke, Laverne, Randy, and Rachel. And it's, it's in mid-October and there are four college students and they are going to some sort of remote, they call, it said it's Cascade Beach, but it doesn't look like a beach to me. It looks kind of more like a, a lake, big pond, yeah. a big pond, and it, definitely not a beach. Um, they arrived, I said, okay, at the lake, I guess we could say even. Uh, and they see that there's the, the wooden raft left out in the middle of the water, I guess from the season time, because it is mid-October. So when, I guess, season there, because the whole time down there, they're driving, they're blaring music. They're like, that raft better be there. And he's like, I just saw it the other day. So there might have been some question because it's end of season. Yeah. They, they arrive in this like muscle car. They're, you know, smoking weed. They're carrying on. They're just like basically partying. They pull up, open the doors. They strip down. And Deke, who is this, basically this big ball of testosterone, is the first one to like get into the water. And he, they're swimming out to the thing. But as they're swimming out to the raft, uh, Randy notices a duck struggling against something and being pulled underwater and basically killed. After he meets Deke on the raft, he basically starts freaking out about this blob thing that's making its way towards the raft. And he starts screaming at the girls to swim faster. Um, eventually pulling, I guess, Laverne on the raft at the almost the very last minute. There's a part where it looks like she wasn't going to make it, but she ends up, they all get on the raft. And how would you describe this thing? Um... It definitely like looks like an oily spill blob or a, like 50 cut up black trash bags floating <laughs> on the top of a surface. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Like 50 black trash bags, like basically just like floating ominously on the, on the surface of this. They dodge the big old hefty bag and they get on the raft. Yeah, they all get on the raft. Uh, Randy's still losing his mind, and, he, and they're they're thinking is it an oil spill? There's a lot of talk about it. Uh, but basically, it, it's a blob, basically floating on the surface. Uh, Rachel, who is like the kind of you know virginal, didn't smoke the weed, real quiet. I don't think she said one word during the intro part of the of the scene. Leans over to the raft to try to touch it. The, the blob grabs hold of her, pulls her to the lake, and basically digests her. Uh, I guess so they all start freaking out. Um, they kind of remember that it's off-season, so no one knows that they're there. No one knows. No, no, there's nobody around, basically. So they know they're pretty much stuck out there. The terrifying part was as she was struggling against it, she, she was like saying like how bad it hurts, and it's just, ugh. Yeah, and I would say this, like, these effects here are really good. When the blob covers each of the characters in in various ways, like, I would say that 
this was this was really good it was effective it looked really good um as basically as time goes on deke basically is like i'm gonna i'm gonna make a, he's wants to he wants to make a, a um a run for the shore basically a swim for the shore and try to out swim it um just it's a smart he, move, yeah yeah and i feel like <laughs> I feel like his that's definitely on par for his character because he seems like the kind of guy who thinks he could do anything. And I think that he would feel like he can outswim this, <laughs> even though it you see it floating very fluid like very fluidly on there and and, and probably he would not beat it. But, I know um, how to do it's a hunk of marble if anybody <laughs> Yes, he's very statuesque. Uh while he's going on this rip, uh, like rant about making it out, swimming it, doing it things, the blob seeps through the raft of the cracks and grabs Deke by the foot. Uh, despite uh, Randy and Laverne, and it, they look like they're trying to help him, but they're making the worst effort to help him. They're like five feet away, like, no, no, Deke, <laughs> you know, don't fall through there. The, the, the blob basically manages to pull Deke through the entire raft, killing him. Yeah, snapping one of his legs back. Oh yeah, all the way to like his chest. It was it was definitely like, yeah, that was also a really good scene too. Uh, they he they basically pull him through the slats of the thing. I love that last part where his hand goes through, and his ring just slides off. Yeah, so you definitely tell he's being yeah yanked through. I think it's, I think it was great. Uh. Laverne starts freaking out. They're freaking out. The blob is still underneath them, and they're standing on the slats of the raft, trying to avoid any kind of touching of it. Uh, they decide they're going to take turns watching it. Then they end up both, I guess, falling asleep at some point because the next morning, Randy finds that they're still basically alive. Uh, they kind of didn't really watch it that well because they were supposed to watch it the entire night and take and take turns but they woke up to obviously they they fell asleep at some point uh randy turns like real rapey for a minute and he decides a very that, problematic part yeah yeah he decides he's gonna just start like caressing and kissing and stripping laverne like I guess like while she sleeps. Yep. She's semi the conscious, but not, you know, because she's saying no and stuff. But it's like a really weird scene that as an adult watching this removed, I'm like, you could have 100 percent done away with done away with that scene without even needing it. There was no movement of the story for it. There was, I guess at the end of very end they used it, but uh it was just a really weird scene to for them to play the kill out because eventually what happens is that while Randy's doing this, she's kind of saying no, this, that, and the other, he pulls her shirt back down. Then she kind of reaches for her face. Like something is wrong. Uh, she awakens, like she basically screams in agony. You see that the blob has basically, while she was being laid down by Randy had come up through the slats and had covered the right side of her face. and was like pulling her face. And I think that, again, another good scene. Uh, these kills on this one, I think, are really good. Yep. And she basically is being sucked off of the raft and being <laughs> digested by the blob. All right. Um, the, um, yeah, he, his boner goes away real quick. He, <laughs> yes. <laughs> he, makes, 
He makes a very quick decision. Yeah, he turns around and he goes, well, I'm going to use this time to my advantage. <laughs> so he yep. basically jumps off the raft. He makes, a, he makes a swim for the shore. He makes it and decides that when he gets out, he's going to do a celebratory, you know, I beat you scream <laughs> uh, right next to the shoreline. Two so, inches away from the shore. <laughs> yes, basically his toe is still in the water. The, the, the blob basically rears up and in a wave engulfs Randy and drags him out to the lake. <laughs> and then, so as they kind of like do the end scene pan, it's the backup of the cars with the car. Now, two days later, it still has an active battery. It's still playing their loud music. Uh, it shows no sign of the people, the raft, the, the, the blob is now floating away and it pans over to like this deep, like, like kind of foliage area where, trees are covering the no the no swimming sign so so that was the you know the the you know take heed was the the no the no swim sign but uh yeah and it shows all that's left to them as their belongings on the shoreline did you notice when the rat when the sorry when the when the thing was floating away that it burped yes i heard it like it belched (laughs) so they're like those little comedic things are really funny but uh, I noticed like uh, Laverne, which was Deke, Deke's kind. I got, I would say, girlfriend. Let's say, is that uh, she's wearing a Horlicks sweatshirt, and Horlicks is the college that the crap, the, the crate was. Yep. So I thought that was a cool callback to the first one. I thought that was neat. Uh, I also read that Randy, who was the last guy standing, he literally almost died of hypothermia filming this. He sure did. <laughs> so they had to rush. Uh, his skin was turning green. Again, if we think about it, it was like mid-October. They, they were wearing nothing. I, I did notice that Laverne was wearing that red Horlick sweatshirt, but then later seen she also had a double sweatshirt on top of her, so she must have been cold too. She had a whole sweatshirt that were, I don't even know where it came from during the middle of the scene. The gray one that she ended up being wearing. Yeah. But Oh, uh, I think it was Rachel's. Oh, okay. So basically his skin was turning green from filming they had to rush him to the hospital and he had to you know get better and then finish filming this yeah he had to hurry hurry back and get eaten uh i think they, yeah, they were calling each other deke and randy were calling each other poncho and cisco yep. which is a callback to the to the 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 film on the first one which is great um i think it was funny that the prude died first Hmm. Yeah, because like normally when you think of those like horror tropes as like the virginal, you know, the prude is the more aware and is more the one that is the one that finishes the, the movie and she's in control. She recognizes different in danger, but this was not the case. The prude was the first one to die. And the geek almost survived. Yes, <laughs> the pre-med geek almost survived. Um, after that, it kind of like when it went on the no swimming uh, sign, it went into an animation backed with Billy again. And he's making his way back home from the post office and he's reading the comic book while he's bicycling in this comic, in this, in this, uh, scene, he's ambushed by a gang of neighborhood kids who basically just bully him. And there's the leader. I saw his name is Rhino, which is funny because it kind of looks like... (laughs) It looks like a really fat, like Glenn 
Danzig, like you know that band Danzig. <laughs> like he just he just looks like this like and he's wearing blue eyeshadow. I thought it was that was interesting. And look, his eyes looked really blue. Yeah. Um he grabs a package from Billy with the with the Venus flytrap bulbs and he smashes it. Uh they continue to bully him, mock him. Um uh, they yeah, they ruin the contents of the package. Uh they basically threaten to uh, Billy, I guess, kicks Rhino in the balls. Kicks him right in the nerds. Yeah, to get to basically stop him, and Billy gets away. But then, of course, Rhino sends everybody after him. So then the creep appears again after this little like this little scene, and he mentions that Billy knows his way around the town, which <laughs> I don't really know what that means. So the bullies will catch up to him for a while. So let's go back to the next story. <laughs> Pretty much so we have time to tell another story while, while Billy gets chased around town. I never thought about that. Yeah, he's just running. He's yes. For his so life. He's like, yeah, we have a minute. So let's go back to this for a minute. <laughs> and it brings us to the hitchhiker. I'm going to gush about this one because I, I can't wait. <laughs> this is one of my favorite segments, not only of this, but of all time. I don't know something about it. But, yes it yeah. is it is a slog to watch this at points like where you're like oh my goodness <laughs> it's a yeah, woman a little bit yeah repetitive <laughs> okay so go ahead but i love i just love the uh anyway this we cut to this woman waking up with this man and it was revealed that she that the alarm clock didn't go off because apparently the power went out and she now must get home in quite a hurry because the man she's sleeping with is a gigolo which you don't see very often yes i mean and i noticed on the back of his headboard he had like the book it do you notice that oh yeah he had a he had some he had stephen king back there it was awesome yeah and yeah he's a gigolo that she's hired which we find out later for 150 dollars i guess a session and very he's reasonable. just like a creepy like weird guy you know he's just like I don't know, but yeah, go on, go ahead. You're good. He he jokes about charging her by the orgasm. Yeah, and he says that he's kind of at least six. You know, he's like, you're looking at him like, okay, guy, <laughs> like, okay. <laughs> he's just like overly confident about everything, and so she's just throwing like crumpled money at him, and this a weird kind of exchanges about you know, I need money for a Mercedes and. We're gonna get you a Mercedes kind of thing, like. So yeah. she uses his services a lot. Yep, and so it's just, she's on her way out. And she, he says, uh, "Good luck getting home on time." I I know an attorney if you need one, and she says, "I already have one. My husband, not gonna <laughs> lose him." So she's racing out. She's driving, and she's having this. It's not an inner monologue. It's an outer monologue. This bitch talks to herself. The entire ride home. Yeah, and refers to herself as like the third person, like Miss Lansing. Yeah, yeah it's Mrs. Lansing. Yeah, Mrs. Lansing. Like, and and I guess she. The only way I would say is that because otherwise, because it really just is her the entire rest of the, of the story, that it would just be very quiet. So they had to have her talking to herself the entire time. Or you're just not going to really, it'll be the most random video, but like <laughs> random clip ever. But she yeah. does have a lot of conversations with herself about everything. 
she's trying to come up with uh, why she's late being home. And then she finally is just like, I got laid, George. Yeah. And you, and you see that she's like talking about her husband, how he's always on time. And uh, she smoked, she starts smoking. And then I guess she dropped the cigarette, which was sends her into an absolute tailspin on the road. Which would have been fine, except there happened to have been a, <laughs> and a yellow rain slicker with a sign that says Dover. Yes. He looked like a fisherman. It, to me, it looked like a, almost like a fisherman, like, uh, raincoat he was wearing. He does look like the Gorton's fisherman. Yes. <laughs> it's played by Tom Wright. I don't know. It's a, He happens to be a black gentleman. I don't know if the race plays into... You know, the themes of privilege and whatnot. Oh, yeah. That made, yeah. And I thought it was weird. Yeah, because it was like, even uh, he gets hit. And of course, like people eventually, you know, drive by and they stop. And I guess, you know, Stephen King gets off. Uh, Stephen King is in this one and he's, and he's the dr- truck driver. He goes, Oh, is that a black guy? And it's like almost like. <laughs> And he made a point to say that. And you're like, what is that? What are you asking that about? Like, and it's like, maybe they were trying to say like, yeah, privilege or, you know, he was a hitchhiker and, but they tried to, a couple times to like, you know, bring, or at least that one time bring race into it in some aspect. I just and, about that this time. I, I, I don't know why it's just, he just happens to be black. Yeah. And so it was a kind of a weird, uh, thing for him to point out not that he's wearing like a, a tire fisherman outfit like <laughs> oh yeah so she punches that motherfucker's ticket and she yeah. drives off now it, it goes from her worrying about cheating or having an affair to worrying about basically doing a hit and run <laughs> oh yeah she's uh she's running yeah and she's had now her dialogue is all about the fact that she killed somebody <laughs> or maybe she didn't or maybe she did or maybe and she goes back and forth and she's like well if i feel guilty later i'll just turn myself in later and she's going through these like ma- major like meltdowns about it yeah she's like can, can you live with this and we find out in the end that depending on your interpretation of the ending she couldn't yeah so i was gonna say because I think that this woman We're getting the or the horse maybe though. Oh yeah. Oh yeah, I guess so. I'm so sorry, but yeah, um yeah, so she's driving away and then a couple pedestrians pull up to to find the man's dead body, which kind of adds to the idea that you know, his appearance later on may have been all her. Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Because like, cause if he was out there chasing her, he wouldn't still be in the road very dead. Yeah, that's true. Because I guess like the whole end of, end of this is like basically this hitchhiker who she obviously was being tended to on the side of the road was <laughs> hanging from her car in various different ways. And yeah. anything she tried, she could not get rid of this hitchhiker. Oh yeah, I just like got- he's coming through the sunroof. She's repeatedly, you know, ramming him into a a, a, a tree, like yeah. 
Like, and there's, I mean, it's probably like two thirds of this is, is her trying to kill this hitchhiker who is just does not go away. Trying to re-kill. Kill and kill and kill. And what I I love about this is the reason I'm so sorry to cut you off, but the reason is I love the atmosphere behind like driving at night. It's so, I have no idea. It's, it's the opposite of cozy. It just makes, it makes everything more terrifying when you're out in the middle of nowhere, pitch black driving. And the first scene of, of him coming back is she, she stops because she thinks she sees something and then she turns around and looks out her back window and she just sees him coming towards her with his. Yeah. yeah just slowly making his way towards her. And she's like, that can't be. Yes. And the, uh, the, well, I forgot to say the hitchhikers played by Tom Wright, who actually played another zombie in another anthology called tales from the hood. Oh, it's so great. <laughs> so he's, he's had a lot of zombie work. And he plays it really well because, like, by the end of this, this, like, he is, I mean, I don't know if it's the same thing or if it's, like, another kind of special effect, but it is mangled. His corpse is mangled. Oh, yeah, he gets fucked up good. And uh, what's his catchphrase? Uh, He said, thanks for the ride, or what was it? Uh, For the ride, lady. Thanks for the ride, lady. Thanks. And that's all he said. That's all. And it was just... You can just see that was also driving her insane. Like he's hanging on the side of her car. He's on top of her car. He's she's driving through the forest with him at one point. Yeah. She's just like and I. I don't even know how she hit a tree because she's in. She's just driving. Like what had to have been like a couple miles into this like wooded area, and she hits the brake. He flies off, and she just keeps ramming him and ramming and ramming him, and it's just like. So then it kind of she backs up from that final scene and he wasn't there which kind of gave me the impression like it that must have been a figment of her imagination then it may have been yeah because so then she you see her at this point her car is like smoking because it's like been through trauma this entire night and she pulls into the garage of the house and she sees her husband is even there which is like of course the first night that i'm worried about him about me being late he's late and she's sitting there kind of just like exhaling for a minute and the hitchhiker is there too again oh yeah she's she's kind of like like calmly like saying like my car is bent yeah. <laughs> and she's like halfway through a sentence and then you just hear like like a ghastly thanks for the ride lady yeah and then you get a like a, a pan view of the house and you see the garage door closing and time lapse happens and you see which i think was funny because if you notice on her license plate it was lansing two as the husband's pulling in it's lansing one like yep. so you know it's the husband pulling in and he stops the, the garage door opens there's a bunch of smoke coming out and you see that she's dead in the, in the driver's seat, but there's the Dover sign hanging around her neck. Yeah. And do you, did you recognize why her husband was late getting home? No, I didn't. He was one of the pedestrians who... 
Oh my god, how did I miss that? I don't know. I missed the first hundred. Oh my god, that is so crazy. I, I like literally I did not see that. Yeah. I missed it too a lot, but Oh, that is oh my god, that's so crazy. And so I read that because of course I'm like, did she die? So I look started looking up things. And people say that it was probably carbon monoxide poisoning. Yep. And but they do have the sign around her neck. So it's kind of a misdirection. Like, did it happen? Did it not happen? I think this entire story is like about guilt because she's kind of guilty about her husband. She's like talking about all these stories she's making up about her husband, about, you know, where she was, what she was doing while she was cheating. Then she basically kills somebody in a hit and run. And now the whole rest of the story is the guilt of that guilt, guilt, uh, you know, making up stories about it. Then what are you going to say? Or will you turn yourself in? And she basically, I think this, this woman just, it got the best of her. She just killed herself. Yep. I love that. I, what I also love about the sign is it is, it is ambiguous, but you can make up your own. It's like a, you know, make your own ending type thing where it's like, if you want it to have happened, it totally happened. But if you wanted it to be a, you know her her um her like you like you said her guilt coming back to her over and over again and yeah it it was that i would say it was it was a really good one uh but again very unlikable characters yep <laughs> like okay maybe the husband like who again has all of like a line is redeemable but she is not redeemable even the, the the gigolo who could be just a nice guy, he had to be such a jerk, but he was. It was like one of the worst guys ever. Like, like I think I would immediately regret having sex with him after having sex with him. Like if he talked like that around me after that, because he was just like, oh, I you know I'll give you that and do this. He was just he just was so less like sleazy. Um, the ending happens. You see the Dover sign. It basically goes back into the animation. Uh, you see the creep is inside the delivery truck and kind of like the one that was in a live action part of the beginning of the story, the, the one that was delivering the creep packages, the creep magazine. Uh, he gets there to, to drive away and says, the, you know, basically goodbye to the audience. And you kind of see Billy speed by in the bike, which brings it back to the story. And he's still being chased by the bullies. And he basically leads him into this vacant lot uh surrounded by a bunch of like plant growth and like but it basically dirt around a bunch of like trees and bushes uh to a dead end and rhino and his gang move in to basically beat up billy and i guess this basically four huge venus fly traps emerge from the surrounding like foliage and begin to devour like the gang one by one so it kind of gave me the impression that this might have been the first Venus flytrap that Billy bought. Like, has he been like cultivating these? But like, but basically, uh, Billy opens his, his copy of the creep show to show the advertisement for the giant Venus flytraps, basically confirming that they do eat meat and all the things. Yep. And it shows all the boys with, with Rhino being the last one being killed by them. Uh, the film kind of goes back to live action and uh you see the creep played by tom savini and like the prosthetics now 
and you see him kind of cackle and they're driving away which i don't even know who's driving that truck now at this point because i thought he was the only one in the truck but now someone's driving because he's hanging out the back of the truck throwing gleefully the copies of creep show into the the the, the air while they're driving away (laughs) so uh i guess he's going on to a different town but like then it rolls the credits and it's that brings it in the movie oh yeah i love it uh did you happen to see the end of the credits with that blurb at the end of the credits um about how comics are not responsible for delinquent activities and such yeah there's like this whole paragraph where like from like 1940s that basically says like quit blaming comic books for juvenile delinquency and start blaming like real factors like you know parental ignorance all this kind of stuff and and it was a quote from this like Collier's magazine, which I'm not familiar with. But uh, I thought that was interesting because it brings it back to why they even kind of did the, the, the anthology in the first place was the kind of the answer to all that comic book backlash that there once was. Oh, yeah, because the whole creep show thing is a love letter to the EC comics, Tales from the Crypt, Vault of Horror. And those came under fire by the was it called the Hayes Code? Which, yeah, and yeah. basically they were being like accused of just ruining the lives of children. Yeah, and I think it was a good callback to like why they even did the anthology too. But you won't even see that to the very absolute end of the absolute last credit. And it was nice that like I did like it. I thought it was a good way to kind of like tie it back to why they're even doing it. Oh yeah, I thought it was a good touch. Uh. Would, okay, so you are very, you really, really love these anthologies when it comes to Creep Show. Yep. Well, I love so, them. Okay, so what would you, what would you rate it, uh, like today? Like, say one is, you know, eh, you know, it's it's good to four being the best. Um, if I voted with my heart, it would be a ten and a big old heart. <laughs> But practically speaking, I would probably give it a seven point five out of ten. There are there are clumsy moments, and you could tell when the budget got slashed that they had to cut in places. And it it sometimes it somewhat feels incomplete. But by God, if it isn't just a blast. Yeah, I would say I'm like around. If we're going to have ten, I would say yeah. Uh, I would give it like a six, maybe like a six and a half, because. Only because, like, yeah, some things seem dated watching it, but you obviously take it for what it is. It's 80s. It's, it, I look past that kind of stuff, so I don't, I don't get hung up on that too much. But, like, uh, I kind of liked the first more comic book, the blues and the reds, the filming. I miss some of that aspects of, like... Oh, yeah. The, from the first one but that could be budgetary so the budget was half but like i kind of missed more of the comic book pull-ins uh what else i, I the, the like some of the characters well basically in all of them and I, I guess maybe that's about being horror but like again we're just unlikable you oh. only get there's only like three or four people this entire three or four, three stories that are redeemable you know, and I feel like it, there was a, this unlikable characters. Like the raft, it was like, I was almost rooting for the blob in the raft. Totally. Like, you're just like, yes, kill them. Like, I was unaffected. I mean, unaffected in like, 
I didn't have I wasn't invested in these characters anyway but the fact that like you almost felt yourself pulling for the bad thing to happen um only the fact that like yeah it, it looked great it looked painful uh but the woman the woman uh with cheating she was just like yeah I mean you're also just a hit you not only are you a cheater you just did a hit and run and you just drove off and you're like not that you're okay with it but you you made the decision to drive off you know <laughs> just those kind of things oh she's yeah she's still a trash human being yeah horrible. but she did have some morality because otherwise the guilt wouldn't have eaten her at all yeah and so like i i guess it's just kind of thing where i'm like only that i think affected me a little bit what well, it would have been higher for me uh i do remember seeing it as a kid but again only the only the raft one really stuck in my memory so i don't have a nostalgia pull to it but um how do you rate them okay i was thinking of that too uh i would say hitchhiker raft and then woodenhead whoa ty you do the same yep what made you i what made you uh I well, you really like the first. You really like the last one you just said. But what made you choose between Woodenhead and the Raft? What 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 brought the wood the Raft ahead of the Woodenhead? Oh, the Raft is such good tension, though. Yeah. Up and the the survival aspect of it, and it's just it pulls you in, and it it's a good ride. I still yeah. for Chief Woodenhead, but I thought it was a really great. Uh, just had a good vibe to it. Uh, I liked that the, the kills were on on screen as opposed to off. Um, I kind of knew from the get, like from scene, like minute one, scene one, that like when the kid was talking about his hair, I knew he was going to be scalped. I, I, but I really appreciated the raft because the way you kind of knew the blob was ominous, but when you saw it actually kill, it it it, it like really met and it over met expectation like it was it was it was a really good i thought it was a really good scene absolutely yeah uh next week's gonna be a little bit rough i need to warn you right now <laughs> you were saying about you were saying do creep show three yeah just to be completist <laughs> yeah and i am a completist so i completely feel yeah. that like don't have me start a collection of anything because I'm not going to stop till I have every bit of it. So I understand the completer thing, but like, uh, I heard nothing but bad things about this. Yeah. So <laughs> I'm going, I'm going in with a negative step forward. And I, I don't want to do that to myself because I feel like I should just be completely like blank slate about it, but I'm going in with nothing with bad expectations of this. A one week mulligan and we could do, AKA the real creep show tales from the dark side. Oh man. It's so me for a loop. <laughs> now I don't know what you should do. I don't know if I should just like finish this out. Cause it's, it comes in 1990. Technically if we were going in order, it's not that much of a cheat. Okay. All right. So you want to do tales of the dark side? Yep. We can do tales from the dark side. Okay, we'll do Tears from the Dark Side, and then we'll One. come back to Creep Show 3. 
yeah, but you're you're gonna eat your vegetables. Don't worry. Just... <laughs> I know. I because I'm like, oh, everyone just does not like this. <laughs> like, <laughs> no so game. Tales of the Dark Side, and yep. then Creepshow Three. Okay. And then we'll leap off the bridge when we come to. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I'll just have to just, I'll just buy beer that night and just get, get through it. <laughs> oh yeah, you'll you'll need it. <laughs> But this one was good. I I really appreciate. I really enjoyed it. I think it held up, and I think that some movies, some horror movies from the time frame, are just hard to get through, and this wasn't. So I was pleasantly surprised. Right on. Right. Liked it. We will. Uh, we will catch you guys next week. Yes. <laughs> bye bye. Bye.